Well, I've got a small update. I saw Dr. Skateboard this morning and uh, to go over my blood work. Turns out everything was cool. Everything, uh, everything's fine. My, um, whatever the bad cholesterol is, the, the LDL, HDL, uh, HTML, which, whichever one that is, my HTML was a little bit concerning, but not really that much. And uh, he said, you know, if I really, and he did this pounding the table thing, if I really wanted some medicine, he would prescribe me some, but he recommends uh, not having some, which is a relief because as I told him, I said, you know, I was thinking if a Dutch doctor tells me that I need to take some pills, then it's really important. <laughs> it's critical. And uh, he had a good laugh and he told me that uh, the Dutch, uh, <laughs> it was the point, I hadn't thought about it until now, but he was like, oh, yes, yes, we are still over-medicated as a country. And I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> there, there's your problem right there. But then he said the uh, the Israelis, they are the most over-medicated uh, people. Uh, and, and <laughs> the he medical said that, stereotypes brought to you by a doctor. And he said, he said, you know, it's so it's kind of little wonder that they figured out the uh, the COVID stuff, uh, you know, vaccinating first, but they um, they tend to medicate too much. Well, it's uh, kind of like Australia; they've got a really small population with great healthcare, so you uh, know they can they they can run a lot of uh, internal internal fact finding. Yeah, I just yeah. like the fact that the Dutch like that. That's part of your visit. You're getting just like political commentary about other people, other uh, <laughs> nations' uh, predisposal to uh, medications, which is like, yeah. But did he, did you ask? I guess the natural question is like, well, what is he? What is the United States? Are we like we uh, seem like a place that we? I, would, I think I think I think more more medications. I think, yeah, I think he thought there was too much. Now you know he didn't say the most, but it's just like there's too much. You know, he's like, oh yes, in the in the states they would prescribe whatever you know, I, I, I don't know he actually didn't say anything he was just like oh yeah we don't we don't prescribe as much over here and uh you know i think uh you know i think i think dr skateboard is great i'm glad i've stumbled into <laughs> him as my doctor because he just like he engages with me on my inane banter and uh commentary right like i, I make this comment you know a dumb joke about you know dutch prescriptions and then boom we're talking three, four minute conversation we had going off of that. That's that's oh. all I'm looking for. That's right. Doctor Skateboard must banner. not be busy. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt, maybe I, that can maybe that's a good uh, segue, Matt. You know, it, it sounds like you had a little run in with the Australian healthcare. Maybe give everybody a, an update on your rather abrupt <laughs> exit. Uh, well, well, last week. Yeah. For, first, uh, a quick side note, Cote. Do you ever get the question, "How does this compare to American healthcare?" <laughs> or or do or or do you try to pay for something? They're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they 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 usually don't ask about it. The only thing that's happened is when we did have U.S. health insurance for the first few years here, and you know we filed a reimbursement. It was always, I, I wouldn't say it was confusing, but it was always like a process, right? It's uh-huh. kind of like it's kind of I can't think of an analogy, but it's like you know there there there's an accept there's an exception process to follow, and you know someone's got to like pull out the three ring binder to look that up. I mean, I I owned a fax machine in the U.S. because of the medical industry, but yeah, uh, I did make a crack to Doctor Skateboard about that. I was like, oh yeah, this you know to do this we would have had to fax something, and he, he paused long enough that I think he was kind of like. Facts. What is a fax? <laughs> He's like that doesn't translate. <laughs> we never bothered with that word. Yeah. So so last week, last week, right as uh, as we were going to going to start recording, I got a uh, emergency phone call uh, from my wife that uh, she'd been injured. Uh, she f- had fallen and broken her. Uh, well, we thought it was a dislocated shoulder, 
and it turned out it was a, a broken humerus, which is the upper bone of the uh, shoulder. So that's uh, or, or well, the arm, and so that's uh, that was a nice quick trip to the ER. And uh, um, <laughs> the funny thing is, though, is like I, I talked to Bill in the other day. I was like, uh, you know, you need to update our address and whatnot, and they were like, oh, that's okay. There's no bills. <laughs> So my wife spent six hours in the ER, had a X-ray, a CT scan, a couple of handfuls of painkillers and, and meds. And uh, they're like, yeah, it, it's cool. But uh, so, yeah. She on the house. Kind of, on the house. On the house. Well, it's it's your tax dollars at work, right? Mm, so you, yo, you pay for it somewhere. But, now, uh, now when you when you get a cast in this day and age, is it like the old days where you get like, it's like, I mean, it's not some Faulknerian thing where it's cement. But is it like a plaster thing, or have, have cast technologies advanced? Well, well, well. I'm here to tell you, cast technologies have advanced. My my youngest son broke his uh, wrist about six weeks ago, and Whoa. he got he got his cast off this week. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, they, they had like a fiberglass cast, so he could take it in the water. And then the uh, the orthopedic guy was like, "Well, you can go to the beach, but don't get it any sand in." I was like. How are you not going to get sand in the beach? <laughs> maybe maybe uh, he's thinking of some of those like New Zealand uh, black pebble beaches. Is I, it, I that... don't know. Yeah, no? yeah, no. But he he said yeah. So so you were allowed to get it wet, but uh, after like one shower with it on, my my son was like, "This is disgusting," you know, because it just fills up with water and yeah. drains on you for hours. So he it smells. He, I'm sure. Right? He, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he kept it dry after that. But yeah, he he had a fiberglass cast. My wife does not have a cast. Fiberglass. Um, yeah, does, when, that, does that come on like as a liquid and cool or something? No, it, it goes on the same kind of wrap. Um, I mean, that's what huh. casts are these days. Uh, so you know, they they let you have different colors, and uh, uh, my son chose uh, the uh, um, the the formal look. He went with the black, um, but Tux, uh, tuxedo, <laughs> the tuxedo of cast. Future software developer, right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I mean, I, I was like, I would have chosen like the fluorescent purple or something, you know. And that's because you're that's because you've moved on. You're like dev relations now. You're like you want the attention. <laughs> software developers, like, I'll just take the black, quietly sit by the side of the room and do my work. So yeah, like yeah, that, that's exact. But uh, my wife does not get a cast uh, for for that kind of break. Uh, it's you either get surgery or it heals by itself, and well, so she is. In what a, a gamble! <laughs> she gets an X-ray after three weeks, and they determine if it's healing on track. So that uh, sucks. So lot. wait, you, so wait, you just you've broken your upper arm, right? And then yep. and then and then now, granted, the price is right, but they just they just <laughs> they just throw you in a sling and say to like you know well, well, you get come the, back later. You get the uh, painkillers. That's really what you want at the uh, ER immediately. Yeah. Painkillers, right? That's yes. It feels yes. like ninety percent of going to the ER is you need the shot of morphine or something to tide you over to get to your like next doctor's visit. I feel like. Yeah. I like if yeah. I was an ER doctor, I feel like fifty percent of the things I could I could probably get away from maybe fifty percent cases. Like you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give you a shot of morphine, and then I'm gonna you should go see a doctor on Monday. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I that, feel that, like. That that is another difference between U.S. and America. They hear they were like, we'll give you ten oxycodones, and that that's gonna last you like four days, and then you have to go get another prescription and start you know get on a track and it's heavily watched. <laughs> and my father in law was like, they gave me a bottle of five hundred. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Not good though. Leads to other medical problems. Not a good uh system. That's like, that's like that's like more more uh you can't even buy that much aspirin at the grocery store around here. They exactly. they just won't like 
you can't get 500 of anything. Uh, yeah, you so, know. So, so, you know, and, and, you know, being the, the stoic that, that he is, he probably took like, you know, three and now he's got a bottle of, you know, 497 for, for a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, also a little medical update. Uh, you know, I, I think last week, Brandon and listeners, uh, I, I covered that my jaw was hurting as well. I thought that maybe was related to everything. I got, I had an emergency dental appointment. Oh, you, you gave me much advice. You helped convince me along with my wife. Uh, the dentist did all sorts of tests, tested out things. He even took an X-ray. May I could share that X-ray? I took a picture of it too, because I took a picture of it on the screen because "quote unquote" my kids will love this, but really it's because I loved it. Uh, but I could share that with our community here. Turns out there's nothing going on with my teeth, no no gum or tooth problems, and the doctor diagnosed that I've been grinding my teeth, mm. which you know I turned 45 at the beginning of this month. I've never ground grinded my teeth. And he was, he was hilarious. He was like, yes, yeah, so it's likely you're grinding your teeth. Have, have, have you been experiencing um, a, a, a lot of stress recently? And I don't know. I just kind of paused and I was like, I don't know, maybe for the past two years? <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, we have another installment in the uh, "What's Up with Making Money with Open Source," and I think I think this is the most concise, almost there summary so far. We might be able to close the book with this one with just a little bit of footnoting, and I think um, I think what we get to with this, of course, we've got a reference to the developers of the new Kingmakers. We'll put a reference to this in the show notes. It's a good write up. It's good because it, she's uh, encouraging people to. It sounds like to kind of not give up on open source. I think. I think she uh, was the executive director of the uh, Continuous Delivery Foundation. I get them mixed up. Yeah, it's, uh, we'll give credit here. I guess is it Tracy Miranda? Hopefully, I said there that right. So there and, you go. And it, it was very, very uh, nicely, concisely written. And, and there's, I think we could it was just a little more paragraphs on the business model part. But I think, <laughs> and because she, I think she lists them all there, right? And and I think there's just like it'd be nice to uh, detail out a little bit more there. And then I think we're done. We're done with this discussion. <laughs> which which we we can basically say with and the point being made here which I think is key is that like it's uh you know you know with some modifications thanks to to cloud stuff uh which I think is a technical term uh and also I think thanks to um I don't know I think amongst people like ourselves and and uh people who listen to this stuff they still kind of think of open core as as like a phrase or a topic but I don't know I feel like you just you know Everyone uses open source in their stacks of software or in their cloud stuff, and you just like sell it, which 
ultimately I think was the point being made is like, yeah, you can write and make a business around this. And I think, I think the key things, the, the kind of like marginalia to add to it is like, yeah, it's great if you can run it as a SaaS or whatever, you know, the, the, the shape of the business is a little different because you're not like a pure software company who has like basically infinite awesome margins. I mean, <laughs> to exaggerate it, right? But that's okay. That is a business. And, uh, and you know, then you can also just do an open core thing where you're selling licenses wrapped around that, uh, which, which is fine. And then there's always the old support and consulting. But, you know, I think that model is is a little difficult if you're looking to get some sort of funding. I mean... All sorts yeah, of people have, like that. Yeah, yeah. All sorts of people have pro- proven out that you can make a perfectly fine, I don't know, five, maybe even ten million dollar revenue uh company, like doing support and consulting around open source. Now the problem there, it's uh it's not the business model itself. There must be some kind of I think it's investment a, return, right? And I, I think you know, yeah. I guess the reason it's called my I guess Adam Jacob, you know, friend of the show, one of Matt's old bosses, you know, he tweeted it out. And I, I think, you know, I guess it's a quick overview of it. It makes sense, but it does seem like to me, that's like the big missing part of this is, okay, well, who funded you to build this, right? Like that's like, what were your investor uh, expectations of return going into this? Because if you don't take that on here and, and you gloss that over, right? That's the part, this is the part I think it's most companies. I don't know if I'm saying trouble, but this is where the frustration is, is if you take money from a venture capitalist and they want like the quote unquote 10 X return, and you haven't really thought that through, then you're probably going to end up in a really difficult situation versus like if you bootstrap the whole thing from the beginning and, you know, you're going to have a totally different set of options. So I think that part right, is right. Like really, I mean, kind of really a, a gaping hole in this article. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, 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 that's determined your success. So that, that's, that's that what first. I, that's what I was trying to get to the words for is there is uh there, there, there's like, I don't know what it is, but the, the, the other opportunities for, uh, funding like like wasn't there uh i i saw something that uh, that uh was it uh andreessen horowitz is trying to start some trillion dollar fund for crypto or 600 million for this or i don't know something ridiculous for sure yeah yeah it see it seems like you could just take that money and buy all the bitcoins and then and then be done and centralize it finally but like maybe cool. they're worth more than that but anyhow uh yeah i mean that that's 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 the issue is like getting that initial funding and then also i think there's another relative issue of like if you are bootstrapping all on your own then there's a matter of like being able to pay for and support talent the opportunity cost of other things so it does seem like i mean you know i always complain about this kind of phenomena that it's annoying that you can't uh i don't know just be a happy business instead of being a 100x business but hey capitalism but you could like i think that's kind of what i you know this article kind of misses like i feel like you could put this at the top of the introduction and say something to the effect of if you are trying to build you know a business that can support your lifestyles that doesn't require investment from venture capitalists it'll probably be something that looks like something between like say around 10 employees can you create a, a compelling open source project over the long term that can sustain itself on 10 people right and that's sort of everybody all in on the company if you can then I think to your point, Kote, you're on your way to like a very nice business. You probably make really good money, not, you know, hundreds of millions, um, but certainly a real good, you could have a really nice lifestyle. And that's, if that's your goal, here's some things that you can do. Um, but if that's not, if you're, if you're sort of like, I don't think I can do it with that many people and I'm going to hire probably a lot more than 10, 
then you know, then you really have to think through all of these questions before you start. Yeah. And the other part I just wanted to throw out is like, you know, in here she says that it's pretty straightforward on the uh, the I guess the monetization. And it's like I don't think so. Like I I think the listing the options of how to charge is pretty straightforward. I think deciding which one of those options is going to work for you to me is never straightforward. I think it requires a lot of testing and every place I've been where we've done this, it's like, you know, you start with maybe an enterprise version, but then you decide you want to try SaaS and then maybe you even circle back to a mid-market version. And it just takes a while to figure out like what people want to buy. So I would never say that's straightforward. Right, right. I mean, mean, essentially, if you want to uh, be a large company that does open source stuff, you're going to probably need to do some SaaS things and figure out some open core model. Or... Uh, you know, you just drive up your valuation and let that be someone else's problem who acquires you. It's always well, you, a, you, a good model. <laughs> you can't bootstrap your way to like a crazy valuation, though. Somebody has to put that money in. That's and, true. And and everyone as a signal to everyone else that they think they're going to get at least ten x back, right? And so when people grab this, you know, two hundred million dollar a round, it's like somebody decided that's a unicorn, right? That's a billion dollar company. Whether or not you believe that. Meh. But, you know, and then and then you're, you know, stuck on that that uh, treadmill of, you know, ever, ever, ever quickening treadmill of now you have to get to that billion dollars, you know, in 10 years or, you know, you're going to get flung off the back of it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> there's your VC analogy for the wait, day. Wait, fl- <laughs> flung, flung off the back of of, of what? A the wave? treadmill. Oh, the, the treadmill. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got uh, it. Well, I have a, a child who is deathly afraid of treadmills because he stepped on one when he was four uh, <laughs> even though even though he watched you on a treadmill like for forever yeah i think i think he might was it your thought. treadmill that he stepped on matt ray uh, it was a different one. Oh, okay good good <laughs> you have multiple My... treadmills in the house that's what i'm he- hearing <laughs> not not currently <laughs> not currently <laughs> uh so there you go always always plan for your uh, monetization model and uh, I think the larger point is good, though, is like, you know, it's uh, it's not an impossible dream or something weird out of the ordinary. Perfectly fine to uh, go about doing. Now, as as uh, you know, one one of the things there's really no segue there. But, you know, I, I, I just I just want to I didn't read this until we were looking through the notes, but I have not read. Uh, what does he call himself now? The 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 professor dog. The uh, the Scott Galloway guy, Professor G, Prof G. Well, boy, that's right. But I went through and read his. He finally wrote a Web three overview, and boy, it was it was in its classic style. And I just read the first paragraph, and I was like, "Wow, how do I get this job? Like, what is what is like what is like the structure of your life such that you can just like light your hands on fire and spew gasoline at the world, and then just light that on fire, and then you're like, oh, I'm off to Florida for my vacation." Like, I, I don't know if this is like independent wealth I think or like lights. I think he distills his genius as he takes something down and he comes up with like two or three points and he works out some really, really good sound bites. And then he just hits them everywhere. He hits it on podcasts. That's true. On, that's true. Uh, oh, oh, I, I just I just meant on his YouTube. Like, no, I think it is perfect. And that's really what it is. It doesn't matter. Notice I didn't say it has to be correct doesn't have to be correct. It just has to be right, right, right. Com- de- delivered very compellingly. So that's what you I mean. No, now I didn't I didn't mean the uh the 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 craft process. I meant he basically seems to think everything is terrible and everyone is scamming stuff. 
And so it's sort of like at some point, I feel like he's going to like need to work with someone and they're going to be like, no, you said I'm terrible. So I don't want to like, <laughs> like, for example, if you, you know, when, when you read all the, I didn't read all the way to the bottom cause I kind of got the point after a while, but like the, in the little italic, what Scott's doing next, it's like, he's, he's moderating a panel with the CEO of WeWork or something like, boy, hopefully that's going to be crazy. Like, I mean, that's, that seems like uh so I guess maybe I've just disproved my own theory. He can still be on a panel and moderate it with the, with the CEO of WeWork after like all of his, uh, his talk about that. But he does, you know, I, I, I like there's one thing consistent about his, his thing, which is uh, the old uh, income inequality thing. So that's a fun lens to like look at all this stuff because he, he with his uh, with the charts and the money side of stuff makes the point that uh, the last Web3 coverage we were talking about, the uh, was it the signal person was that like, oh, this is actually highly centralized and yeah. uh, it's pretty much like, what, what are you going to do? So. Well, you know, we'll see how that pans out. Still fun to uh, still fun to watch. See, well, see what's I, happening. I like this article because he got down into the nitty gritty of how there's a, a small handful of people who are going to make a ton of money off of it. And you know, uh, since I missed last episode, um, I, I greatly enjoyed y'all's commentary that this is the chance for the people who funded all the enterprise tools that you know are currently a thing to fund them again for you know this next oh, yes. up, next made up generation which they happen to be involved in making this thing a thing if it, you know they're hyping web3 so they can sell web3 tools and as they finance web3 and and so they're like you know and then <clears throat> when you follow it up with you know the, the Galloway article it's like oh and by the way you know they're part of that 1% that's going to you know they're they're making a ton off crypto they're making a ton of crypto companies and they're making a ton of crypto company tools. Nobody else is really making money or sees a need for this, but you know, uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like a very, uh, good long-term business model or <laughs> unless, unless you're at the top of the pyramid. Yes. Well, I do think the New York times, you know, they weighed in with an article and I always feel like, well, that's the sign. It's like, okay, that was it. Everyone has weighed in on it now. Like we've got Prof G, we've got the New York Times sort of, well, New York Times is summarizing it. Prof G is sort of definitely a bear. We've got Andreessen and Horowitz, Super Bulls, right? We've got Dorsey kind of on the bear case. And we got, you know, a bunch of other bloggers on, on the bull case. And it's like, so now I just feel like now we just wait, right? Like there's really, I don't know, just like there doesn't, it's sort of like all the arguments have been made. So it's just like either something will emerge out that is, you know, like we're going to see everyone using it in the real world. And we're going to be like, wow, turns out it was really useful and it's going to be huge or nothing's going to, you know, it's just going to be a lot of startups and a lot of blog posts and then nothing happens and it just slowly fades away. And someone will write or, a Harvard business review in several years about how this was all a bubble. And it's like, or, and I mean, yeah. there seems to be no way other than just watching at this point. I don't know if there's anything else you can really do. Mm, that's good. Or, or, or probably a lot of the, you know, the incumbents like, you know, your visas and, and, and the like will assimilate the pieces that are useful to them right and, so just be co-opted right yeah yeah mm -hmm. and, and and we'll be like whatever happened to that and like i don't know but you know now now visa works everywhere i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or well yeah and to your point like or just it'll just make what we do now a little bit more efficient which is not a bad yeah. outcome it's just not the it's not the world changing outcome that you know the bulls are saying um and then maybe on the bear case too it's like maybe Maybe just, you know, if the worst case is a bunch of VCs lose money and people that knowingly speculate lose money, 
that's okay, right? What you don't want to see is it to like spread to like lots of people that don't really know what they're doing and lose money that's very important to them in their lives. Like that but would that, be that's how the pyramid schemes work. Right. No, I agree. That's like where we are. That's why like we're kind of watching. It's like kind of looks like a pyramid scheme, but like, okay, maybe not, you know, but there's, there is this like, I don't know, someone should almost have like the, uh, I guess the federal regulators have like the ultimate like parachute pool. They can just be like, that's it. It's over. It's all illegal, right? They can just say, if they feel like it's going too far. So I'm sure that would come like with a do. lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of resistance, but like, I guess that's the last hope, right? That's like the last backstop is to be like, forget it. Full on pyramid scheme. We're done. So, but we're far from that from happening. Well, I'm sure all the crypto people will be happy. They can get it back out to dollars. <laughs> that's right. That's There'd right. probably be a fun name for that. Like the big cash cash out or something. Well, I did that, think one thing was funny. We don't talk about it too long. It's just, uh, you know, you know, crypto.com is, uh, I guess bought the naming rights to the Lakers, but more importantly, they've, uh, somehow convinced Matt Damon to be a spokesman, which is weird. I just remember Matt Damon, you know, sort of doesn't seem like the thing like the Goodwill hunting guy would be involved in, but whatever he's doing it. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, you know, they get hacked. Right. And it's like, and so somebody was joking in the Slack, should they bring in Jason Bourne to like get the money back? And I just, I don't know. I just look at like Matt Damon. I'm like, this seems like a really bad career choice for him. Like, why would he, I mean, he's so incredibly rich and I'm, I get it. Like we always want more money, but I'm just like, this seemed like such a bad decision for him to endorse this. Like why him? Like, why would you risk all your reputation, you know, to be associated with this? Even if it goes well, it just feels like, it feels very weird. So I don't know. Wish Matt Damon and Jason Bourne well. But for the for for the, for the record, I still love Jason Bourne and recommend all the movies. <laughs> well, uh, also uh, another another small data point to update. You know, speaking of things that we we uh, we enjoy, just sitting back and watching. It looks like now, Brandon, you found a new data point, or maybe it wasn't you. I think it was you about the uh, the uh, workload placement between private and public cloud, and uh, it looks like it looks. This is from a Morgan Stanley report, I think. Now. I liked looking through this guy's newsletter because it reinvigorated the idea. You know, I used to post a lot of charts uh, from reports and analysts, and then I started wondering, like, is this a copyright violation? Are they going to, like, get upset at my employer for doing this? So I kind of stopped doing that. But, boy, you know, I love charts. But this is good. You've got charts everywhere. You got the source in there. It's yeah, very useful yeah. unless they complain. I think we have to start with the source because this is maybe, Kote, I think All you right, put so go, this up before. Like that. the Morgan Stanley CIO survey. So all of this data just comes from – it's just a survey. They're just asking That's right. CIOs. That's right. so, and this is, this is their estimate. Right, and I just feel like this is – I mean this is the classic like the original data was so rotten like the rest of the – the analysis can't be, it doesn't matter like what you apply to it beyond that, because I I'm, you know, and I don't mean it in a way that like this, they, they're doing this deliberately. I just think it's really difficult to really, really know. I think at a detailed level, exactly where things are running in and out um, in any environment. So I think this idea that the CIOs already think 25% of their um, work application workloads are in the cloud today. I'm like, if we walked in there with a discovery tool, and I want, and I was like, okay, I'm going to discover everything. I feel like that would not would be much lower. They would find lots of applications and workloads that they kind of forgot about for one reason or the other. And then, of course, and then aspirationally, that they say that they want to move it all to the cloud faster, which is fine. But that is not backed up by any real data that says that they can move it that fast. So I just feel like this whole thing is sort of like the house of cards that, you know, this idea that, 
um, all this cloud migration is going to happen fast. And trust me, nobody wants it to happen faster than me. Like I'm all for it. I would like to do 100%. But I just look at that and I just say to myself, no, this is all this data is sort of like uh, propagating a false you know, outlook about how fast this could possibly be done. Yeah, yeah. As as uh, as I think you commented, it seems like it's it's been the uh, the early innings of cloud forever. Like it's it's a. Uh, I, I don't know how many innings there are in baseball, but this one seems to be some sort of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Infinite Innings. Uh, it's situation. a cricket match. A cricket match, yes. Because <laughs> this is a cricket match could last like three or four days. Isn't that how it works, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like kind of untimed and to some degree. I was I was over at uh, uh, one of the you know the school parents' house for Halloween, and there was a uh, there was a cricket match up on their projector. And so, you know, I was trying to get a little information and it was, it was to that point, it was hilarious. He was like, well, usually cricket games take a long time. So they came up with this entirely new format that just takes like a day or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just only takes like, four and, or five and, hours. and they have like a three or four hour version. So the, yeah, like the 2020s is what it's called or something. Something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There <laughs> actually, uh, Netflix has a has a documentary series I think called Explain or something, and I watched the cricket one, and it had like the history of like you know the four day match, the one day match, the three hour oh. match, and how India is like you know the 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 pinnacle of of cricket today. I mean, sorry, other countries, but like you know they've got the most professional leagues, and they're reinvigorating it, and you know throwing a lot of colonial history in there. It was actually pretty good. I'll find that for the show notes. No, I feel, I feel like Brandon, you must have listened to at least one audiobook about cricket. Not yet. Like in your I've library? Watched, um, I did. I had a great time. One time I went to London and instead of going to our uh, pre-conference, someone's like, hey, let's go to this cricket match. And it was a 2020. So it was a short version. And I I drank um, a lot of the It wasn't uh, sangria, but it was like, what is this stuff they have out of a pitcher? It was very nice. It was uh, I can't remember what it was called now. It was a very nice uh, uh, fruity, fruity alcoholic drink. So that's all. That's it. That's all I know about cricket. And then I just explained the, the people. They just were super nice. All the people in London, they explained me, explained the rules. And I was like, all right, I'm in. I love it. Let's do it. Highlight of cricket. The, that was uh, it. The, that's all I have to say. The punch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The punch. Um, but coming back to this, I just wanted like the one thing here. I wish we could like maybe there is a place that we can actually make a bet. So the final line of this quote was CIOs expecting 40 44 percent of workloads to reside in public cloud by 2024. So mm-hmm. that is exactly two years from now. I would like to find a place, maybe DraftKings. Let, they advertise on every other podcast I listen to. Maybe they will post a bet where you can bet. Will 44% of all workloads be in the cloud by 2024? 20, I would like to take the, the the opposite of that. I do not believe Ooh, that's going to happen. Under. I will take the under, right? And it's like, who, like, if you put this on a financial market to go all uh, Matt Levine on us here, it's like, who is taking the over? Who's like, where are those people and how do we how do we bet with them? Mm. You know, I, I also wonder, you know, since it's CIOs you're asking, I wonder if they are just agreeing that they will deliver what they have been told to deliver right like like their goals right because they're probably not going to answer well i was told that by you know by uh you know maybe i bet what it is is well because of course it's an average but maybe people are thinking i don't know when this was conducted but probably three years out i bet their corporate planning is like we should have 50 percent of our workloads in public cloud and then so some of the CIOs are just like, I don't know if that's going to happen. Like, so I think it's going to be more like 40. And so like you get this, uh, this kind of average of 44%. But it seems like that 50 number is probably what people have been told. And then, of course, they're not going to be like, 
Well, my comp plan says that I need to move 50%, but I know it's actually 30%. So I'm going to estimate that we'll only do 30%. Like, it seems like if you're, if you're that kind of executive and you're living under a, uh, you kind of bend reality to uh, fit what, what you think you're I know, I can't help, please. you're saying this. I was just looking it up. Just to channel some AWS leadership principle here. Here's one. Have backbone, disagree, and commit. So to your point, right? I think you're exactly right. I think aspirationally, I think all the CIOs are needed to uh, committing to this, right? Or they, they, they believe they should need to say it. But like, you know, like if you've been doing this for a while, you know, deep down, that is a very aggressive goal. Like very few organizations I think could, could possibly get all of that done. And yeah, so yeah. I just think that's the problem with where we are in the cloud. And then we follow on with, you know, the, the, uh, the cliche, we are all, we are in the early innings of the cloud, which is like, to me, it's like the, the chef's kiss of this whole thing. And it's like, it's always like, there's so many things layered in there. Like the belief that there's an end game and everything will be in the cloud. Like we keep kind of pushing that idea that it's all going to happen. And it's like, no, that's probably also not right. You know, you're probably never going to get all the workloads in the cloud. So the longer we just keep saying this, and the longer people keep writing these reports, the further we get away from actually like finishing something that's tangible. At least that's kind of how I think of it. You know, this podcast name is probably already taken, but when you start out your your just your general culture podcast, Brandon, you should call it the Chef's Kiss, <laughs> and just like you can, you can bring the uh, the level of analysis and tone that you do to, to the tech world to uh, to to the rest of the world. You know, like start with bread, just just kind of talk about what's going on there. Bread. Carbs are just, good. Yeah, just like, you know, plastic versus bamboo forks. What <laughs> what what are we going to do there? I think that'd be great. Well, you know, speaking of the cloud, there was there was another thing. Uh, you know, I maybe 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 uh Brandon you remember or Matt, but like there was this notion thrown out in the thought world, the thinking world that, you know, Amazon might turn into a or AWS or or public cloud would just turn into a dumb pipe, right? Which is to say, one of my favorite uh it's not strategy, but whatever the kind of like this thinking is like from, uh, uh, I, is it David Eisenberg? I, I always forget, but you know, it's this notion from the nineties when, uh, there was a prediction, I think rightly so that all the telcos out there, uh, were, it was, well, you know, I never really knew what, what, if he was suggesting this as a good idea or kind of a wickedly whatever idea but he i think his position in the dumb pipe manifesto or whatever it was that uh, the telcos should just focus on being dumb pipes instead of uh trying to be more intelligent i guess and that is just like be really good at moving data and things around instead of uh complexifying things too much but i think we've kind of filed away the dumb pipe notion as like you don't want to be a dumb pipe uh, when in fact, I'd have to go reread this, but I think his argument was kind of like the same argument other people at the time would have is like, why is this so slow? Maybe you could work on just speeding it up instead of worrying about prodigy or, I, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it harkens back to a day where there were companies like, you know, the baby bills or AT&T or whoever, who were bad at their core competencies. <laughs> and, and, you know, people are like, why would you try to do anything else when you the thing you're supposed to do you don't do well? And people are projecting that onto the likes of of, of Amazon and, and Azure and, and Google, and they're like, well, you know, we've seen other companies that once they get large, they're bad at what they're doing, so they should stop expanding. And I think that I don't think that's a reality anymore. I mean, I, I don't think most people look at Amazon and they're like, you know, they're not very good at doing public cloud, um, or you know, they need to you know. 
people will say they need to slow down, but it's mostly so I can catch up. Nobody's saying like Amazon's got too big and their quality has really slipped. I mean, generally like their quality has stayed very high. You know, we've talked about the way they organize the company, the pizza teams, whatever, but they're continuing to deliver high quality products. Too many of them, you know, 37 ways to deploy containers, whatever, but um, they're not putting out crap. And, and so other people now are, you know, kind of saying, well, <sighs> there's this whole idea of the the meta cloud or, or, you know, the, the next gen clouds that are running on top of these public clouds and the public clouds need to just tap their brakes and focus on becoming the underlayer to that. And I don't expect Amazon or, or anybody else to, to take that carrot, right? They're going to say like, you know what, Snowflake, we see you've built a $90 billion business on top of us. We want some of that too. And, you know, the stock market doesn't want companies to, to stay still. Um, there's plenty of money continuing what they're doing, but there's also plenty of money to take from, you know, the people running on top of them. So that's never slowed Amazon down before. Um, so I think, I don't think any of them are going to stop what they're doing and just focus on being a dumb cloud. Or so I, I think that's definitely true. I do. I mean, maybe just slightly different take. I would, you know, so do, I'd like to get your opinion on this, Matt. It's like, I feel like what we hear more and more of lately is Amazon launches like a competing service to something that already exists and it just doesn't include everything, right? It sort of misses some of the stuff that people want, right? And sure. so, and like Snowflake's a good example. So, and I feel like, I, you know, I feel like there's kind of this sentiment is like, they're doing that a lot, right? There's all, it's like, it's not that it's bad, but it's sort of like lacks the, you know, the whatever, the polish, the, the, the polish the, yeah. that you need to like, to really do something at a production level. And that's why like take Snowflake's a good example. That's why people say, well, Snowflake's still better, right? Because they've, they've got more polish. And let's just accept that as fact for the moment, even though, cause I don't honestly know all the details. So you can pin me down on that. But so I think there is this kind of, and I guess that's the question is like, where are the lines going forward? Is there a place like, if you just, even with, you know, if you overextend yourself too much and you have a lot of two pizza teams or self-directed teams as Amazon calls them, and they're building lots of stuff, but you never are getting to the polish, right? Like you have to, there is a point where you kind of have to decide like, where am I competing and where am I partnering? And maybe to use like a consumer example would be, you know, Netflix is all built on Amazon or at least, you know, that was the discussion last time I saw them go through it. And it's like, you know, Amazon video, again, I think it's kind of like, it, it, it seems to fit that kind of pattern where it's like, sure, they have some videos, it works, but it's, it's really not as good as Disney plus. It's not as good as Netflix, at least in my opinion. So, so is there a place where it's like, you know, do they keep investing in this Amazon video forever like or is there a point where it's like you know we're making enough money by just host just being the netflix provider or being the disney provider like do 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 they make more money that way going forward so that part i think is an interesting like thought exercise yeah 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 and, and it's a you know this is the second in this episode very concise piece i think it's a mac rickard or not matt 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 does anyone ever call you mac by mistake matt not often what is mac short for that's uh that is a good question. I mean, Anyhow, it's uh Mac, not Matt. No wait, Matt Matt Rickard, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know he lays out a pretty good case. Uh, you know a, a few of the things we said about how uh, uh, it's it's a lot different than than telcos being dumb. And I think I think the main thing to a bit of what what y'all are saying is like it's one thing if you're basically just a pipe, whereas uh, the, each of the public clouds is a lot more than a pipe. They have all sorts of different things. And I mean I think I think the danger for them and 
what was the the name of uh for some reason like charles fitzgerald was writing multiple rebuttals to this concept of like is it a super cloud there's some weird some weird idea yeah that was like i'll have to go look this up that it's you know he he summarized it well to said like if i was writing my reply to this idea in twitter i would say paz you've invented paz but whatever uh but you know the only the only thing and it feels like in a situation like this is you have to make sure that people don't uh steal ownership of your customer basically and i think that's if if all you are is just a pipe like a phone line or a network it's kind of easy to steal ownership of your customer and just mm-hmm. push you the pipe underneath as you layer on top sort of like you know data pipes and serverless infrastructure all this stuff on top of the uh the kind of like i guess is the opposite of multi-cloud monocloud and uh you know but when, once you're sort of like battling over what the customer sees and who owns them, that's when things in a situation like this get, get a well, little dangerous. And, but and, and that's why the public clouds aren't going to rest and, and stop is because if they don't continue to add new features, whether or not they're you know as attractive as, as a, a snowflake, they can be disintermediated. That's right. right? And, you know, and then when Snowflake decides that, you know, GCP has made them an offer they can't refuse, then, you know, Amazon just lost all that Snowflake business and, you know, any potential, you know, other business that they were getting as, as you know, the supplier to all those people who already had their data on AWS. Mm. Oh, the data gravity. Can you it'll make a, <laughs> it'll make a black hole in the cloud? Uh, well, uh, this week, Brandon, do we have any bureaucracy? Let's see. Not a ton of bureaucracy this week. I just wanted to say maybe one thing is uh, we didn't get to, but I just wanted to mention it quickly. It's just like, hey, congratulations to One Password. I've just, I feel like I, I really, I'm not a shareholder or anything, but I feel like I've been using this product since like I don't know, probably almost ten years, and now they're a six point eight billion dollar company solving a very simple but very hard pro- uh, problem. So uh, One Password, congratulations on becoming, uh, I guess. A, I don't know. Are they a decacorn? I don't know what it, what, are, what it is when you're six billion dollars. Um, but Dexacorn. other than that, <laughs> if uh, anyone wants stickers, I'm always uh, prepared to send you stickers. Just send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Well, there's uh, there's several conferences. The that conference is rescheduled for uh, May 23rd to 26th. That'll be in Round Rock in Texas. They have one in Wisconsin as well. You could find if. You go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 340. Uh, and there's also a couple of DevOps days in Chicago. They have a call for papers open. And another DevOps days in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Those CFPs close at the end of this month, and they're in uh, May and April if you uh, want to check those out. I saw that the DevOps days Austin people finally settled on doing something at the beautiful University of Texas alumni system. Lots of wood in there. Ooh, that's a and nice place. Yeah, so uh, so they're they're doing something. They haven't opened their CFP yet. They like those places that serve small plates and ask you if you've eaten there before. They're doing things a little bit differently this year with the CFP. So we'll find out what it is when they reveal it and hopefully make guacamole from scratch at your table. I don't, I don't think I've ever had that happen, but it sounds delicious. Uh, so with that, Matt Ray, what is your recommendation for this week? Well, I uh, I went ahead and put the link for the the Cricket Explainer. Um, it's apparently it's a, a partnership between Vice and, and Netflix. Uh, I put that in the show notes. But uh, my my pick this week is a, a Christmas present uh, I got, um, and my wife told me uh, it was actually the best thing she got for Christmas. <laughs> so I got, I got her 
the UFI RoboVac 35C Wi-Fi robotic vacuum, um, which uh, uh, is is essentially like you know a Roomba competitor. Um, uh-huh. It was uh, half off for some black fr- you know black Christmas sale or whatever you know like two days before Christmas and I and I got it and uh, it's pretty dope. Uh, we 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 named ours Dustin. And uh, Dustin, the uh, mm. the house robot, uh, uh, runs for about an hour every day, sucks up a lot of dog hair, and goes back to its home. And uh, you know, it's it's actually much quieter. So I, ha- I hadn't had a Roomba for like twelve years. So I got like the first generation one, and I got this one, and they've come a long way. So yeah, uh, if I you're bet. still on the fence about getting one, it's awesome. Huh? Yeah, we'd need to get one for like two floors at least. I, I assume it doesn't climb stairs. That, that no, thing. no, but it, it doesn't fall down though, so that's good. Oh, that's good. Huh. <laughs> well, how, how about yourself, Brandon? What do you have to recommend? Well, I'll just uh, echo Matt's recommendation. We do have a Roomba. It was given to us, I think, last year, and it's it's been great. I will say, uh, Christmas is a difficult time for the Roomba. Though. The Christmas tree and the Christmas tree. Uh, what is it? The <laughs> apron thing that sits below. It's a lot. That they have not figured. That's a use case they haven't figured out. It just it runs in there and gets itself stuck. But other than that, normal operation. Once it knows your house, it's it's fantastic. Um, well, I wanted uh, for my recommendation this week, you know, Kote, this is maybe something for Kim. Is Kim? I think isn't she into true crime podcast at all? Oh yeah. Uh, all right. That's so this that's, is, uh, that's that's all she listens to. Yeah, she I was wouldn't say, like this me is to probably say that, not. But. This is not a Kote recommendation. It's more. Uh, it's, I'll call it a Kim recommendation. So I listened to this one, uh, Sweet Bobby, and it's uh, a crazy story about a, a, someone being catfished, but kind of the most sophisticated catfish. Uh, story that I've ever heard. So it was pretty short, six episodes, uh, and it was it was just sort of unbelievable. So what Kote, what I'd like you to do is ask him to uh, listen to it. And uh, okay. it's just sort of yeah. So it's definitely it's not like it's true crime, but it's not there's no violence or anything. It's just sort of like a hard to believe story. So I would like to to uh, hear her uh, recommend or her review of it. I think it's, uh, but I thought it was really easy, really easy to listen. It's only six episodes. So if you're going somewhere quick you need something on a, a kind of maybe a commute it's a really good one to to listen to and then the other thing i actually want to ask for some help you know because you know of course this podcast is all about me so here's my situation i got uh my son has a new gaming computer we plugged it into the outlet and it keeps tripping the circuit in his room right so i had the electrician out they looked at everything it seems to be the, this computer does that right it's and it's and i tried it in another bedroom so it's a bad I, computer I, that's what I thought. It's possessed. So You're this is need... my thing. So, but if you plug it into a non AC, what I don't know, a non ACF uh, outlet in your house, it'll work fine. So, I'm going to try to return this to Dell. I think. I think that's going to be what I do. I'm going to say like, I think this is just the power supply. I think it's just like kind of whatever. Maybe not grounded perfectly, but it kind of works. But I feel like they're going to reject it. They're going to be like, no, it does work. But I'll be like, no, it doesn't really work all the time. I can make it work, but I want you to fix it. So if anyone has figured out how to solve this kind of problem. Or has a you know like a good way to return a computer to Dell to get them to replace the power supply? Tell me. Share it with me in the Slack or on Twitter or whatever. Um, otherwise, you know, I'm stuck to have this extension cord running in my house. That's never going to get mm. fixed. So, so there you have it. Life of a uh, life of the father. You know, it's like you you always know there's there's no good deed that goes unpunished. I'm like this this computer is too good. And now of course it's causing this problem. So oh. help me, F- help me, email me, tell me how to fix that. You're you're reminding me of the days when Dell had the uh, what was it the uh, the outlet stores or whatever. Right. Remember, remember those? Oh, that was yeah. so fun to go. They just like they would just dump stuff in there. 
Yep. So it's exactly, yeah, no, exactly right. I, it was, it's actually very close to me. And I also kind of like, cause I, I did the thing where I like, I wanted to configure it with some more stuff that I wanted. So I ordered it from Dell, but I'm like, this would have been the perfect Costco purchase where you're just like, no, it's just not just like here, it's not working. Give me another one. They don't ask any questions. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that's that, this is the moment you want it. You're like, I'm not going to explain why it's broken. You're going to give me the money and I'm just going to get another one. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's really what I want, but I know I'm not headed down that path. Yeah. All right. Well, my recommendation, I have a, uh, I, I have a book recommendation. I, I've been trying to finish reading books that I've been almost done with for a year. I'm sure I'm the only person in the world who has this thing where I've got like tons of books that have 10 to 20% left. And I finished reading this one. Uh, you remember, uh, is it Alan de Bottom? I forget how to say his name. I like a lot of this. He's a Swiss guy who writes these fun little books. Art is Therapy, I think is one. And apparently he started this thing called like the School of Life where he writes these little pragmatic books with other people. They've got some delightful videos if you go check out their YouTube channel. Anyhow, I finished reading one called uh, The Good Enough Parent, which is basically like uh, if, if you could imagine me a little wiser and more optimistic, I think I would have written a lot of stuff in this book. But it's basically like the take of like, yeah, you should just chill out. Everything's cool. Just as long as, you know, your kids don't turn into murderers, it'll be fine. And even then... Just make sure they know they're loved uh, is kind of the conclusion of it. So it's a, it's, it's a little comforting to read that, like, things are cool. And uh, it has some little tactics there. Like, the one that, you know, one has to constantly be reminded of, uh, especially when they have a child who is younger than two, is that, like, they're not, they're not being jerks. They just, just pretend that they're just aliens who just showed up on the planet and they have no idea what's going on. And uh, I think if it's, it's got lots of advice on that to uh, remind you of these things one always forgets. So check that out. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 340. That's 340 if you don't like um, complicated numbers. I always find when I'm learning a foreign language, I always wish that we just said things like 340 instead of like 15. <laughs> that, I don't know what it is with languages maybe it's only Western languages, but like the numbers 11 to 15 are always just slightly off, right? Once you get to 16, you're like 16, 17, whereas 15 is so close. It's like, what is a fifth? I don't know what a fifth is. I know what a fifth is, which is not a 15 anyways. (laughs) And then, you know, somehow they get, these languages get obsessed with the numbers 11 to 15, not following a pattern, right? So anyways, uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 340. So easy to remember. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, he sticks his fingers in my mouth, tests things out, and he's like, does all this. And he's like, but let's take an x-ray. So, so I'm like, okay, and I'm expecting to wait. And then he's like, come on. And so we just walk down the hallway, and he goes in the machine. He's like, oh, no one's been in here, so he's got to turn the machine on. He's like, I'll, I'll come get you. So I go use the toilet, and then I, as I'm coming out, he's like, all right, it's ready. Come on. And then, boom, all done. And then I'm out. It's just, like, amazing.